Before we begin with this week's episode of Nordic True Crime, we would like to let you know about a great podcast called Ignorance Was Bliss. Here's a little introduction to the show from the host herself. That's horrible. It's true. So strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to? That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key. To find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah. Maybe. Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that. You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at iwbpodcast at gmail.com. On the 10th of August, 2017, the Swedish journalist Kim Wall and her boyfriend were enjoying their leaving party with friends. They had decided to leave Denmark and move to Beijing. As the first guests arrive at the party, Kim is contacted by a man called Peter Madsen. Madsen, who was born in 1971, is an award-winning Danish inventor and engineer He is one of the founders of the Aurora Project Group and Copenhagen Suborbitals, which both work towards the end goal of sending people into space. Peter had also constructed rocket engines, which earned him the nickname Raket Madsen, which translated means Rocket Madsen. Kim had previously been in contact with Madsen, wanting to do an interview with him regarding his space rocket project, but had not had any luck in managing to secure one. Until now. This is Nordic True Crime. Besides building rocket engines, Madsen had also been involved with the design and construction of three submarines. One of these was the UC-3 Nautilus, 
It was 17.8 meters long and weighed 32.5 tons, making it the world's biggest homemade private submarine. When Madsen contacted Kim on the day of the leaving party, he asked her to come to his workshop for a cup of tea. Kim, who was born in 1987, was a freelance journalist. She had previously studied at the London School of Economics and Political Science, as well as having studied journalism and international relations at Columbia University in New York. She had worked for several internationally renowned newspapers, such as The Guardian, The New York Times, and The South China Morning Post. Kim excelled in her profession and was awarded for her work in both climate change and nuclear testing on the Marshall Islands. As well as winning awards, she had also reported from Sri Lanka and Haiti in the aftermath of massive earthquakes which had devastated the countries. So when the opportunity for a potential interview with the inventor arose, she jumped at it. After meeting with Matson that day, he then offered her the chance to visit the UC3 Nautilus that same evening for a longer interview. Kim returned home and talked it through with her boyfriend, discussing whether or not she should leave the party in order to carry out a longer interview with Matson that evening. According to her boyfriend, they were hoping that this would be a good opportunity for her to write the story for an American magazine. So they decided that he would stay with their guests and she would go ahead with the interview. This decision would have devastating consequences. At around 7pm, Kim's boyfriend and their friends gathered by the sea and waved Kim off as she prepared to sail out to sea on the submarine along with Peter Madsen. Roughly 30 minutes later, the submarine passes by four men who were out at sea with their sailing boat. They see a smiling Kim standing at the top of the submarine hatch, next to another person. She really stands out in her red jacket against the dark colors of the boat, and one of the men snaps a quick photo, because, as he would later say, it's not every day you see a submarine sail by. This would be the last time that Kim would be seen alive. Since the moment Kim stepped foot on the submarine, 
she had constantly been in contact with her boyfriend via text messages. At around 8.15pm, she sends him multiple texts. I'm still alive, but we are diving now. He brought coffee and biscuits. And her final one. I love you. 30 minutes later, the submarine disappears from radar and all contact with her boyfriend ceases. Some hours later, when the Nautilus fails to return as planned, Kim's boyfriend becomes very worried and contacts the police. A rescue mission is initiated at around 2.30 a.m. At 11 a.m. on the 11th of August, the UC-3 Nautilus is spotted out in the Bay of Kurge, southwest of Copenhagen. One person sees Madsen go down below deck and then once again returning to the deck. Shortly thereafter, the submarine begins to descend. Soon after this, Madsen is rescued at sea by a private sailing boat and is brought ashore. As he reaches land, there is already a camera crew from a Danish television channel waiting, fixing their cameras on Madsen. He says that he's fine, but he's sad to see Nautilus sink. He then gives out a little laugh and starts to explain that he suddenly noticed a problem with a ballast tank, and when he tried to repair it, the submarine started to sink, and within 30 seconds, it was completely submerged. Nothing in his behavior in front of the cameras would give any indication that just hours earlier he had dismembered Kim Bal's dead body. He just continues to calmly chat away with the interviewer as he walks by the cameras. When the police ask him about the whereabouts of Kim, Matson initially says that he had dropped her off at a pier in Copenhagen around 10.30pm and that he was alone when the Nautilus started to sink. At first, he is not suspected of any crime and a missing person report is made out for the Swedish journalist by the police. However, due to the very unclear circumstances, Surrounding the disappearance of Kim and the rapid sinking of the submarine, the police feel that Matzen must be involved and he is arrested on the Saturday on suspicion of murder and or manslaughter of Kimbal. They believe that he murdered her and that he then purposely sank the Nautilus to cover up any incriminating evidence. During the Sunday, the police manage to raise the submarine and drain it of water 
so that a forensic investigation can take place. However, Kim's body is not found on board the submarine. Just one week later, Madsen changes his accounts of what happened that evening. He now claims that when he was up in the conning tower, where the submarine's movements at sea can be controlled, Kim decided to join him to have a look. He says that she was accidentally hit by a 70 kilos iron hatch as she was climbing the ladder, which caused her to suffer a severe head injury. Kim was bleeding heavily and Madsen couldn't find a pulse anywhere on her body. Within 20 seconds, she was dead and Madsen claims that he panicked. He went into a shock-like state and didn't know what to do. He didn't want to be near her and went to the other side of the boat so that two closed doors would keep him separated from Kim's lifeless body. It was when he was there that he decided to lay down and sleep for a few hours. He was in too much of shocked state to even think about contacting anybody for help. His only plan was to get back home and purposely sink the submarine. After a while, he decided to throw Kim's body in the water to give her a burial at sea. He finds something to tie around her body before dumping her over the side of the vessel. Sometime later, he opens the vent of the Nautilus making it sink to the bottom of the ocean. He claims that he didn't kill Kim. It was all just a terrible accident. However, about a week later, a discovery is made that changes everything. A cyclist notices something strange-looking, lying about five meters from the shoreline in the Bay of Kyrgyz. It turns out to be a human torso that is strapped to pieces of metal, presumably to make sure that it sank to the bottom of the sea, never to resurface. After a DNA check, police confirm that the torso belongs to Kimbal. The police continue to search for the rest of Kim's body, and specially trained cadaver dogs are used to scan the waters. Sure enough, the dogs make special signals to their handlers close to where Madsen's submarine was seen, and police find more body parts belonging to Kim. Each body part they find has pieces of metal tied to them in the same manner as her torso. Her head is also found 
wrapped up inside a plastic bag. The skull had no fractures, proving that Madsen had lied about Kim being hit by the iron hatch, causing her to die. He then changes his story for a third time. He now claims that he forgot to put the vents in the correct position. For the submarine to function correctly, one vent had to be open and the other closed. He then went up to deck and the boat's engines turned off, making it impossible to open the hatch down to the submarine for around 5 to 15 minutes. At this time, Madsen claims that Kim was in the mess and he couldn't get her out due to the locked hatch. When he finally managed to get it open, Kim was already dead, poisoned by the toxic carbon monoxide fumes. He still maintains her death was an accident, but he admits to having dismembered Kim's body and dumping parts in the sea. However, he doesn't want to give an explanation to why he cut her up. This is the story he decides to stick to for the trial. But evidence that points to a much darker version of events is presented by the prosecutor. Investigators had found several very violent films on Madsen's computer, and some are even confirmed to be genuine snuff movies. A snuff movie is a motion picture that shows a person committing suicide or getting murdered for real. However, there is no evidence suggesting that Madsen had anything to do with the production of these movies. He only had them in his possession. The police also find a Google search that was made 16 hours before Kim met up with Madsen at the submarine. The search reads, Decapitate Girl. It also comes to light that Madsen had previously discussed with a colleague his dream of the perfect murder. On the 4th of August, six days prior to meeting Kim, Madsen sends numerous texts to his female friend. Part of the conversation reads, I bind you tightly and pierce through your body with a skewer. I then bring forward the knife looking at your neck. Where is the pulse? He continues with, You will be tightly bound on board the Nautilus. The murder plan is complete. While being questioned about these text messages, Matson claims that it would be absurd to have a text conversation of that nature and then go out and do the very same thing for real. No right-minded person would ever do that. 
he would later explain that the messages were just a version of role-playing. At 11.25pm on the 10th of August, just 20 minutes after Kimball died, Matson sends a text message to his wife saying, On an adventure on the Nautilus, having a good time, won't be diving. Hugs to the cats. During the trial, the prosecutor wonders how he had time to send such a loving text message to his wife, but didn't think to contact anybody for help, and how he was even able to even compose a text message, due to the total panic and shock he claimed to be suffering from at the time of Kim's death. In reply to this, Matson simply says that he wanted to say goodbye to his wife, as he was planning to sink the Nautilus with him still inside it but he later had a change of heart. Kim's blood was found inside the submarine, which refutes the claim that she died of toxic fumes, and no evidence whatsoever of toxication was found during the autopsy. However, Madsen's defense lawyer argues that these fumes could have escaped the body before it was found, so it couldn't be completely ruled out. But even the technical investigation of the submarine finds no evidence supporting Madsen's version of what happened. It does, however, show strong evidence that the boat had been sunk on purpose. Prosecutors believe that Madsen had planned Kim's murder in advance of meeting her. He had prepped the boat with numerous tools, such as cable ties, the same type that was found around Kim's body, a knife and a metal rod that was used to weigh down the dismembered body parts. A witness even observed Matson board the vessel holding the saw that was later determined to be that which was used to cut up Kim's body. When they had been on board the Nautilus for a period of time, Matson tied Kim's arms, legs and head up so that she couldn't move. He then raped and tortured her by striking her as well as cutting and stabbing her with a knife. According to the forensic examination, she had been stabbed several times between her legs. When asked if these stab wounds were sexually motivated, Matson replies, Legally speaking, you cannot have sex with a dead person. She was already dead. He was saying that she got the stab wounds during the dismemberment, which happened hours later. 
but that wasn't consistent with the evidence. According to the coroner, these cuts happened in close proximity to her death. It's not possible to determine the exact cause of death, but it is believed that it was either from strangulation or when she had her throat cut. During the trial, a former work colleague of Madsen testifies. According to her, Madsen had talked about his fascination with death and said that he wanted to become a more dangerous person. He described himself as a psychopath and he expressed a wish to record his own snuff movie. The psychological evaluation finds that Madsen is someone who has severe abnormal sexual behavior with narcissistic and psychopathic personality traits. And at the beginning of the trial, it is noticeable that Madsen is acting very arrogantly, smiling and waving to the journalists sitting in the courtroom. He also talks back when asked questions by the prosecutor often answering questions with a question. The prosecutor wants Matson to be convicted to life in prison or containment. Containment is a sentence used for people who pose a particularly dangerous threat to their surroundings, who are locked up for an undetermined period of time. After three years, an evaluation is made in regards to the person under containment to consider if he or she is still deemed to be too dangerous. After 12 years, the Minister of Justice can decide if the containment should be given a timescale or not. Containment is a very rare sentence in Denmark. Today, there are only 70 people serving this type of sentence. As of today, the trial of Peter Madsen is ongoing and a verdict in the case is expected on the 25th of April of 2018. As the trial approaches an end, we will be sure to give you an update of the outcome here on Nordic True Crime. Meanwhile, the family, friends, and boyfriend of their beloved Kim are still trying to mourn her loss. Her mother Ingrid describes her daughter as a person who had the unique ability to really see the people behind the story in her articles. She did it with great warmth and empathy but at the same time, she kept her journalistic integrity. Her parents have started a memorial foundation to honor the memory of their daughter. The money will go to support other young female journalists working in situations similar to that of Kim, 
Ingrid says that they will let Kim's soul and spirit live on through the Kim Val Memorial Fund. This will help other young journalists continue to do great things. This much we owe her. <laughs>